0: Hello, my name is Larry Dobrow. I'm the editor-in-chief of MM&M, and and i am thrilled to welcome you to Why Marketers Must Embrace Privacy-Safe Real-World Data for Targeting. We'll be having a conversation with John Seiner, who is the chief marketing officer at Swoop. And it's going to be a lively conversation about a whole bunch of issues that are essential to pretty much everybody who does this for a living. So first and foremost, John, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. I guess the way I'm going to start is by asking you the most broad question humanly possible. Um, Give me sort of a state of the union on the current healthcare marketing landscape. Um, What are some of the changes that are taking place that have captured your attention or even your imagination?
1: I think first and foremost, we've got to look at some of these macro forces of change that are occurring. Health marketers are getting bombarded with just some, some really recent developments from the platform organizations. but developments also from the way consumers think, act, and feel, as well as what happened to COVID. So so we look at these macro forces of change, even before we get into what audiences and how you do marketing and all these other things. And we say to ourselves, let's let's take a look at this landscape, as you mentioned, and there's really six six or seven things that come out at us. And the first thing is there's a lot of oversaturated marketing efforts going on right now. First and foremost, consumers are being bombarded with things that are almost like a spray and pray. Let's just cast far and wide and hope that some kind of advertising or programmatic kind of advertising actually, you know, gets to these consumers and patients are really turning out or turning off rather these irrelevant messages. They're just blatantly turning them off. And then they're actually turning off channels because they're saying to themselves, I don't want to see this in my social fees. I don't want to watch television when these ads start, start appearing for these condition specific uh, therapies. So that's the first thing bombardment and oversaturation of marketing. The second thing really is, if you think about what happened to COVID and the reason we're seeing this oversaturated of marketing efforts is personal promotion, which was just a huge thing, pharmaceutical brands going right to the healthcare providers and physicians and and personally having discussions with them. And, And mind you, these discussions are not just marketing, it's how you intercept diseases, it's your courses of treatments, it's being able to diagnose these conditions much more effectively, but it effectively got shut down. It just was not occurring at COVID, and now post COVID, we see this this notion of field sales reps and you know medical science liaisons. They're just not not obtaining the same level of engagement or entree to these healthcare providers. So so that's causing some of this over bombardment and this just vicious circle, right? The other thing you've got is these new waves of startups, and you see about these all every day. The conventional kind of um, Pharmaceutical value chain is is continuously being upended. So you've got new ways of engaging patients. You have new healthcare delivery models. You can go get prescriptions online for some conditions. So you, you take those three things, and it's just this this amalgamation of lots of noisiness and and lots of bombardment from the consumer. And then you look at the consumer themselves, and you look at what you're faced with. You're, you're faced with high levels of technological literacy. Right? We're always on. We're twenty four seven. We have this unprecedented access to information. It's a fickle consumer, right? A fickle demand chain, always shape-shifting, always obsessed with personal value. What does this mean to me? How am I going to benefit from it? Mobile-centric and really digital first. Everybody wants to experience it, that. So it just leads to this, you know, what we like to say is the patient is the CEO. The patient is making some healthcare decisions based on a wide variety of messages and stimulus and and, and healthcare provider visits, they're refocusing on their life cycle and alternative treatments and their well being and disease prevention, right? Not just cures, but how do I prevent this? And then most importantly, you've heard probably people talk about this is treat the patient, not the disease, right? I have unique symptoms. I have unique, you know, maybe social determinants of my health and one size doesn't fit all. So that's kind of the blanket that we're seeing, you know, the landscape present us. And it's really causing some challenges.
0: Um, obviously, Swoop and um, its parent, Real Chemistry. You know, you have a client roster that's uh, as long as any in the business. Yes, what what are some it. of the things you're hearing from clients in response to some of the challenges that you just outlined? Um, what are some of the most comp- What are some of the most common, maybe asks that they have of you?
1: I think you're looking at a an industry that not only did they realize that there's some of these macro level um, forces of change. But you now see a couple of other things that have happened. I know we'll get to this later, but this was a a group of of, you know marketing folks that were dependent heavily on the platforms and and some social media, um, specific platforms, right? So you see in the recent news, you've got Android and Apple that are now saying privacy is number one, and we wanna be able to have our consumers opt out of cross-app tracking. Well, cross-app tracking is a big, huge thing because it allows these organizations, these platforms like Facebook and Instagram and so on and so forth, to really establish a profile of who you are, what your preferences are, what are you looking at, what's your clickstream data look like, what's your behavioral navigation look like. And folks started to use that for advertising purposes. And, you know, the most recent data that we have is 80% of consumers have now shut that off. It's shut down. So there's a channel that marketing, you know, healthcare marketers were, were turning to continuously. And it's suddenly gone right? So that's number one. Number two, Google then comes out and says no more cookies, right? And they, they've they tried a little bit of let's instigate some new solutions and create a bunch of missteps and some failure points. And now we see them, you know, a couple of weeks ago talking about something that they call flock, a cookie list solution, where they're going to induce something called topics. And they're literally going to take trends over the last three weeks, put them in the hands of marketers and say, okay, you're permitted to target on this. But the fact is I just said it 24-7, right? Fickle demand chain. Three weeks is a lot of time to try to figure out how to interact with a consumer. And then the last part is you see Facebook slash Instagram slash Meta in that case, where they say healthcare is now a condition that is sensitive. And so no more targeting on those sensitive conditions. So we have a lot of clients that suddenly said, whoa, what has happened here? That was our go-to. And then, then the companion to that was, they started to realize that behavior-based engagement or activation of ads and programmatic advertising and social media efforts wasn't effective anyway. And so we started to to get a lot of calls from our clients saying there's got to be a better way, right? And they started to realize, hey, all the social footprint, digital body language and this clickstream data, they don't predict that someone is suffering an affliction or a condition. I'm doing the best I can to target, but that may not necessarily be that they actually have a condition that I'm trying to advertise for, right? Or, uh, uh, you know, encouraging them to go to a doctor for a test or, hey, maintain a healthy lifestyle because of this, because they don't have the condition to begin with. And so we've all been there, right? We see these television commercials or these, these programmatic ads and we just shake our head and say, well, I don't have this. This is not even relevant to me. So that was the first thing. The second thing is this industry used to be run by demographic activation. Demographics were the way we marketed in the healthcare industry because they would say things such as, Hey, all males 22 to 45, it's a 50% chance they've got diabetes. And that's probably so. And there's a lot of people that you could advertise there, right? But start getting into specialty and micro specialty and, and rare and really highly focused rare diseases. And that's a needle in a haystack. And there's just no way you can provide, you know, you could, you could use demographics to prove that they again have a condition and the ads are relevant. And so we've seen a lot of clients ask about that. And then the last part is, and again, I know we're gonna talk about this in a minute, is that with the proliferation and democratization of all the data that's out there about consumers and patients, um, and this data is privacy safe, it's tokenized, it, it cannot lead to identification of these consumers. A lot of companies have tried to use that and come up with off-the-shelf target segments. Off-the-shelf target segments, though, are not going to work. And why, as a competitor, would, you, would Mark want to, to use the same segment as you know, BMS? It just doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make sense. So all of this has led to our clients sitting there and saying, wow, there's some pretty sobering conclusions here. We, we have an undifferentiated message. We have, it's broadly reaching too many people or even the wrong people, right? So even too many are wrong. They're not really engaging at the level we want them. They're not seeking the treatment for the conditions and they're not committing to the, you know, to the line of therapy. Now, I'm not trying to say doom and gloom here. It's just that folks are leaving a lot of things on the table because they're simply not targeting properly. They're not targeting the condition properly. And again, you have an undifferentiated and, and very flat message. And that fickle demand chain, that 24-7 consumer is just going to tune you right out. And that's, that's kind of the state of union of what's happening right now.
0: Yeah, to to me, that doesn't sound doom and gloom at all. I mean, that's just kind of the reality on the ground. And I think one of the things that, you know, when we have some of the conversations, uh, very different types of conversations than I imagine you're having, but um, when we have these conversations, what we're largely hearing is an Um, acknowledgement. In the past, there have been so many different scenarios in which Pharma and, you know, especially the marketing side didn't know it had a problem. I think there is a wide awareness of a lot of the conditions that you uh, just called attention to, and uh, right. which actually leads into like the next follow-up question. Give, give us give some examples here, some examples on how targeting with audiences built from real-world data delivers that better value, which as you just said previously, everybody's looking for right now.
1: Yeah. And, and so, and, and what we're really talking about is not only a segment that uses this real-world data, but something that's exclusive to the brand. And let me, let me explain that. So at the first, at kind of the highest level, if we say that, stop with the clickstream data, stop with the social data, stop with the behavioral data, you know, probably stop with the demographic data and maybe even some contextual and, and focus on the real world data. What we're saying is is let's use machine learning and artificial intelligence to crunch hundreds of millions of patient journeys over 10 years, in our case. And then combine that with, Billions of signals of social determinants of health, thus indicating preference or condition or environment of healthcare, access to healthcare, access to health for that matter. Let the machines do what the machines do really, really well, which is crunch those numbers and predict. And then let us come up with a segment that's very exclusive to the brand. As I just mentioned, we don't want to have two brands use the same segment. It happens a lot but you're not differentiating and back to the consumer saying, mm, that message sounds the same. I just heard that from company A. I'm just going to tune this out because it just seems like more of the same stuff. And so at the very highest, what we're saying is let's use something that's brand specific. You know, every brand has got its own distinctive competencies, its own IP in the way that they market um, even the efficacy and effectiveness of their, of their therapy Use that to, advantage, to your advantage, define your custom segment. And so a couple of combinations or a couple of kind of options would be, hey, I just want to target patients based on their actual diagnosis of the disease. It's pretty easy, right? Again, you don't have to speculate at the very highest level who has what and let me target them, right? You can target based on the disease and comorbidities, right? I have this disease plus, you know, ABC diseases as well. Or you can say, hey, give me some recency here are recently diagnosed that's been hospitalized in the last six months. And so you can get very specific. And as you can imagine, just think of the things I just said, you can get very specific on your message. Now you can cluster your message according to that, because it's very relevant to the consumer you're trying to reach. You're trying to influence their behavior. The relevancy also appears, you know, in the messages that marketing creates. And so think of it just on that line, marketing now has the ability to create these highly differential, highly specific clustered messages. It's not one size fits all. So that's the first thing diagnosed. It also could be treating. I'm treating with a competitor's drug, right? Or people are not adhering to my therapy or I've lapsed, you know, all healthcare and therapy kind of contact. I'm not even essentially seeing a doctor. I'm not taking a therapy. So again, highly focused messages and then I can have you know, any number of additional factors, right? People that you know, have really good access to healthcare, they don't. People in rural areas that they see their primary healthcare provider, but that primary healthcare provider is actually their specialist too, right? Because they don't have access to the, the same level of specialist that, that may be in an urban area they have. So we continuously look at these segments. And like I said, we say to ourselves, wait, the brand has core therapeutic advantages. We can target... And by the way, all this is offline data, right? This is not that online data we're talking about, but offline data, we can target based on condition and everything that I you know, just spoke about, and then really impart that marketer can really impart their therapeutic advantages, the unique kind of needs that the patient community might have. And, you know, there's no more tune it out. It's highly relevant to me. And so that elicits, you know, some of the favorable behavior that pharmaceutical brands are really looking for.
0: Um, the next piece of that, obviously, is the measurement piece. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, what advantages do these audiences have compared to traditional targeting methods? I mean, certainly you already addressed that a little bit, but um, you know, spell out some of the specific ones.
1: So when I have an audience based on real world data, that's a tongue twister, one of the things that kind of snaps out at you immediately is that I now have an audience of record for that particular brand and that particular therapy. And that audience can be used with multiple channels. It's truly omni-channel. I can use it for programmatic purposes, social media purposes. I can personalize my website with that audience. I can use any of the television formats. So addressable TV, connected TV, even linear TV on network television. I can use it on streaming audio, internet radio, even terrestrial radio. And what I'm getting to is marketers now with that audience, that audience of record deployed omni I now can go and figure out attribution, right? So I can figure out where my interactions and customer touch points or consumer touch points are actually occurring. And if you think about it also, all during my, I plan for marketing efforts, I activate those marketing efforts. And as we're talking about now, I measure them. I've got a uniform foundational element of the target audience in which to measure. So the first thing is, is I can get to touch point attribution. I can see where my consumers are interacting with me and converting with me. And so measurement, and I, and I don't want to say that attribution is, you know, this is the, this is the holy grail because we all know, you we know, all we can have as marketers, we can have debates about attribution all day long. But it gets you that much closer to that endpoint analysis. So that's the first thing. When I have a better endpoint analysis on my marketing campaigns, and I understand the consumer decision journey, I can figure out, okay, I need to touch this segment using social media plus some programmatic, or programmatic plus some linear television. So it's really how many touches do I need, and and what are their preferred channels of consumption, and if you think about it, at its basic level, it's less waste. I'm not speculating anymore. I'm not. I'm not just you know again that kind of spray and pray methodology that some folks unfortunately have to use. Um, and I can direct spend away from some non performing channels. And guess what? I can use my savings to really some message management and some taking some really deliberate time to to get some good content and, 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 you know, properly prepare for these campaigns. So that's it on the kind of the marketing level, but then the audience quality level is higher because I can't convert a patient or, or, or urge a patient, um, to seek a remedy or a therapy or a, you know, a a test from their physician. If I, if that segment doesn't have diagnosed patients in it, right. It's truly speculative. I I talked about the minute ago. And so we look at audience quality. Audience quality equals script lift. If my my audience has a lot of condition-specific traits to it, then naturally the script lift is going to be higher. And a typical real-world-based target segment has about, and we see this at Swoop, at the lowest end about 100 times. At the highest end, we've seen results 5,000 times an audience that has disease prevalence over just general population and other targeting systems. So I'm highly accurate. My audience quality is higher again, hopefully I've got differential messaging. I've clustered my patient segments based on channel. Suddenly things are looking a lot rosier and a little bit more organized. I can optimize my spend and reduce waste.
0: Okay. Which of course brings us back around to the privacy component. Um, obviously privacy is going to be a big part of any of the things which you just oh, talked yeah. about. Yeah?
1: Oh yeah. The thing that we like to, we, we go through kind of a, a progression of privacy. So I think I mentioned before, and, and I would encourage any marketer to, to talk to their, to their vendor in this area, which is at the very least, you've got to be dealing with tokenized data, right? De-identify tokenized data that at its outset, HIPAA provides for governance. So the data set itself, you can shake your head and say, check, HIPAA, HIPAA compliant, right? But don't stop there. And here's, here's the other part of this. HIPAA was never derived to kind of look fast forward and say, whoa, 10, 20, 30 years, people are going to be using digital marketing to reach patients. And you know, we're going to get some more you know, connected TV and intelligence TV that, that understands the household that they're marketing to. HIPAA never contemplated the privacy quagmire that you could have because suddenly you're engaging in very different methods than were around when HIPAA was authored. And so the second step is what we we like to say is you really got to be a member of the NAI, right? The Network Advertising Initiative, because for a couple of reasons, number one, it's by industry for industry. So it's self-regulated so that we never have a slip up. We never have a public policy disaster where, you know, you see in the media, there's some congressional hearing or there's some advocacy group or there's some whatever it might be that says you're not safeguarding privacy and we're going to have to step in. So The NAI, we like to say by industry for industry is because it's comprised of the industry and those that have committed to privacy safe guidelines and it's self-regulated because we do not want that to happen to us and we don't want that to happen to the patients, right? We want to make sure that there's good solid formats in place where a patient is never identified. On the flip side with NAI, privacy assurances are gained via audits by the NAI. So the NAI audits us, And they say, you've put in place different safeguards, different ways of guardianing the fact that you cannot, you know, everything's de-identified and you cannot identify a a patient. Now, that leaves it up to an interpretation at Swoop. We actually have scientific guarantees. We've established, you know, things that we call, I'll give you an instance, something called K-anonymity. And K-anonymity basically says there's no way through direct or even indirect purposes that you can identify a patient. And you say to yourself, well, how could you do that anyway? What if I had an audience of one? And it's this extreme kind of example. But if I have an audience of one, and, and I'm marketing to you, you know, I know who you are, right? And I know it's extreme. But once you start using some of these, you know, highly granular audiences, and you start to kind of realize, "Ooh, the patient populations aren't that big. You know, that's a great example of, you have a high likelihood of you, you potentially being able to identify those patients. So we use this K-anonymity uh, kind of methodology that scientifically guarantees that any health data analysis targeting, the individual will never be identified or re-identified for that matter, too. So I think it's really important to realize there's the HIPAA component, the NAI component, and then the configuration or kind of the confederate, you know, the, the the looseness of NAI says, hey, now we really got to look at. What each individual company is doing to safeguard that, and as I said, it's, it, it's a really good checklist for the healthcare market to really start to understand these things. Um, we ran a webinar probably last year about privacy, and we were inundated with questions. And you know, it was kind of fresh off the Cambridge Analytica kind of Facebook thing, and and our whole kind of you know whole kind of mantra on that whole thing was is you know, let's try to mitigate any privacy issues that may creep up. Know your advertising supply chain, understand the scientific methods that guarantee that privacy is going to be maintained and, you know, just be really responsible citizens to make sure this this happens, right? And even in this day and age, healthcare marketers asked us a lot of follow-up questions that really indicate that this is something that they really should start to understand and feel and breathe and learn because, you know, there's not a day that goes by. There's not a privacy breach. And, and you know, God forbid that this, this happens with one of the healthcare marketers, but you need to be aware of these things so that you can shake your head and say, yep, check it off. There's no way a patient can be, you know, re-identified.
0: Uh, does it encourage you? Does it encourage your peers at Swoop that these questions are being asked? Um, I mean, on one hand, you know, you're given a seminar and you look in the question box and you see, you know, tens and tens of questions. Okay, that's a little intimidating. But on the other hand, the fact that there is that interest, does that encourage you? Does that inspire you?
1: Here's what I'd say about that. And I, I divide people into two kind of camps. First is the agencies, right? The agencies that are faithfully serving these organizations. They're really on top of us, I must admit. And it's, it's very nice to see that on every call that we're on, or you know, even in some cases, some of the agencies have their own data science teams and segmentation teams lots of good questions, lots of assurances. They're very on top of this, right? And and they're really doing a really good job at, at assuring the safeguarding. Where we see though, when it comes to the brands themselves, the marketers, I think, really need to make sure they understand what their agencies are doing. Here's what I mean by that. I think far too often we see those marketers essentially turn over a budget and say, I just need to do some programmatic advertising. And it's wonderful that the agencies are kind of taking that self-governance, that you know, self-reliant standpoint that we're not going to compromise, you know, brand A, brand B, brand C in anything that we do. But I still think that the pharmaceutical brand marketer or programmatic marketer, social media marketer, whoever they may be, has got to get a really good conversation started with their agencies about this and assure they're using vendors that are compliant with both HIPAA and, and AI, right? To assure their scientific methods and really understand them so that nothing kind of whips back at them. Or someone doesn't start try to start a controversy and say how how do you know how to advertise to me? Well, we you know we have this K anonymity and we have AI guidelines and to make sure they understand that vocabulary so they're not caught off guard, right? So they're not sitting there saying, "Well, my agency does this. I really don't understand this." That's not really an acceptable answer, right? So we see those two camps. Love that all these agencies and obviously you know many many of them are safeguarding you know the brand so to speak, but. We really want to make sure that the pharmaceutical marketers within those brands have a high level of stewardship and education so that they can always be on the top you know, of their game and, and, and fresh off their tongue in case anything happens. Or like I said, anybody starts a controversy. And so we're, we're taking an active role in trying to educate these folks um, just with that, just what those things are.
0: All right. To that end, uh, John, just one last question for you. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we talked about the current state of affairs, you know, some of the things to look out for. What, what are some of the things, like let's say we're having this conversation again a year from now, yeah. um, what, what are some of the most immediate items on your to-do list? Um, what are some of the things that should be on the to-do lists of some of the companies that Swoop works with?
1: So I think there's three things. The first thing is we can get very highly targeted with programmatic efforts. So programmatic, social media, even connected television and addressable TV. I think you're going to see something emerge this year, which will be linear, the revisiting of linear television. A lot of people like to poo-poo it. Um, you're going to see some product announcements with us very shortly about how do I use this same segment at the household level so that we no longer have to view those advertisements and say, this isn't relevant to me. So watch out for that. I think you're going to see a re- you know, resurgence of linear. I think the second thing this year is now that brand marketers are starting to realize, and I'm said the marketers from the brand are starting to realize, whoa, I got mean, a little bit of a handcuffing here and I'm going to have a little bit of a rele- relearning of my, you know, my tradecraft so to speak. I think you're going to see a lot more emphasis on on messaging and really understanding these clusters of message, right? So in B2B we've been bombarded with this whole notion of account-based marketing, right? 1 to 1, 1 to few, you know, 1 to many, right? But but a very highly personalized, high-value laden experience. And the irony is that's nirvana for the consumer companies. And I think you're going to start to see some emphasis on one message does not fit all, right? So armed with these segments, I think you're going to, you know, and and the flexibility of, of deployment omni I think you're going to see some really um, definitive, highly personalized messages that get out there that are, that are, you know, they're good for everybody. They're good for the pharmaceutical company, but they're good for the patient because it's highly relevant. And again, you know, changes behavioral aspects of that. And then I think the third is, it's just what we said. People are starting to realize, hey, with this 24-7 fickle demand chain, this fickle consumer that constantly changes their mind. You know, in the past, I haven't had a really great way of measuring or my my measuring was apples to oranges to bananas and now armed with a, a very highly customized bespoke audience as we, as we spoke about previously. I can start to measure that much more effectively, reduce that waste and reduce again, like we talked about, all the noise, right? So it's, it's highly personalized. It's clustered based on condition and, and, and patient behavior. And so it's good for the whole, you know, kind of 360 surround sound type of thing. And you don't have that angst from the patients really trying to say again, why am I listening to this? Or why is this playing on television? Or why do I have this in my social media feed? So I think you're going to see a couple of developments this year and, and some hockey stick kind of things happen, some realization. It's really going to be the benefit of the whole, uh, the whole industry.
0: We got to check back in, in and, you know, in a year or so and, uh, you know, see how many of these. Yeah, let's do it. Through, right? <laughs> John, this was an incredible education and an incredible pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: Thank you again for having us All
0: right. for the MMM podcast. This was Larry Dugrow. Many thanks for listening and be well.